0: what a great song from the Old Testament. God's redemptive heart, God's redemptive purposes is, is uh, ongoing. Old Testament, New Testament, God is always moving into the world to bring people to Himself, to bring worshipers around. We uh, Today we get to step into a, a season of the study of the book of Acts. We get to step into a place in the book of Acts that we left off several years ago. Uh, we, we ended with chapter 7. We left off chapter 7 of Acts and uh, it was It was a time that was uh, incredibly difficult for the church. If you remember the story of Acts for six uh, for for six chapters, but for for almost eighteen twenty four months, the church was an incredible church in in so many ways. you'd want to be a part of that church. They were a loving church. They were a fellowshipping church. They were a learning church right they they were a, a worshipping church, and they were a witnessing church in Jerusalem, like all these people had come and, man, the gospel went out and, and people were being saved, people were being changed. They, they, they were loving one another, pouring into one another, selling property so they could take care of one another. What, a, what an incredible church. But then, uh, but then something happened. Um, Satan rose up. The enemies rose up of the church, of the gospel. Uh, the, the moment came when Stephen... He was witnessing one of the deacons, these, these crazy deacons we have around. They, they step forward, they, they, they share the gospel, and opposition came in a strong way. Stephen had the audacity to speak against the pillars of Judaism, the, the, the land, the Torah, the temple. And he called out to people, the, the leadership in Jerusalem, that they didn't really love the Lord. They, didn't, they weren't interested in serving the Lord. They weren't interested in walking with the Lord. And they responded violently. They responded with passion and zeal. To destroy the church. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's an incredible thing to start talking about persecution. But let's pick up. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Our Lord God Almighty, we do ask as we start this study uh, for the next several months of, in the book of Acts, we do ask that you, your word would minister to us, that your word would teach us, that we learn that the doctrine of the, of, of, of the gospel. We learn to be a people that are serving you and, and seeking to glorify you through the spreading of the good news. But Lord, teach us and help us grow. And even in the day as we open up the word, bless the reading of the word. Uh, speak to us, Lord, about what you want us to do and how you want us to be and how you want us to go. And, and Lord, for your glory, for your fame, for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Acts chapter one, or Acts chapter 8, verse 1. there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they all paid attention to him because for a long time he, was amazed, he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ... They were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip, seeing signs and great miracles performed. He was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they, went, they, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he not had not fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw, the spirit was, we'll, we'll stop there, pause there, uh, get ahead of myself. Uh, Stephen uh, stood there as, as the, the stones were flying at him. and he, he, he asked God to forgive the people that were killing him. The spirit of Jesus was in him. The heart, the mind of Christ was in him. And Jesus is standing there in the vision that Stephen sees, welcoming, ready to welcome Stephen into heaven. What what, what a great scene, but Saul is there saying, yeah, keep throwing those stones, kill this man. We meet Saul, and uh, this church meets persecution. Um, The the idea of persecution in our minds, it's something we'd rather not think about. It's something we'd rather avoid. It's something we'd rather not go there, of course. But we need to talk about it. Is it abnormal for a church to be persecuted? Absolutely not. Is it abnormal for Christians to suffer? Absolutely not. If we are students of Jesus, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we're living by His values, we're following His commands, we're speaking His truth, should the students be treated any different than the teacher? Should the the people of God be uh, experience anything different than what the master experienced? Of course not. We, uh, we sometimes, in, in our culture, in our society, because it's been so, so far removed from us, we don't think it's something that's possible. And yet, if we're following Jesus, persecution might very well come. In fact, we're told in the Bible that all who are following Christ, who are living godly lives, they will be persecuted. Now, it's, it's, just, it's just part of the deal, but Man, the gospel was, uh, was going out in Jerusalem, the Jews were reaching the Jews, the Hebraic Jews, the Aramaic-speaking Jews were, were reaching the Greek-speaking Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews that were in the town for the festivals were visiting, they were preaching to the Hebra- Aramaic-speaking Jews. It was this, this in-house, this culture, reaching out to one another, serving one another, and amazing things were happening. But then it happened. Persecution came. And just, just to get a, a sense of how serious it was, if you look to the, the back of, of Acts, Acts 26. Acts 26, verse 9. Uh, Paul is uh, before a king, uh, a provincial king, and he's uh, giving testimony. Acts 26, 9, he's defending himself or telling, telling him his story. Uh, he was... Uh, uh, against the church, and I myself, verse 9 says, was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme so that they could be killed. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities, so what we what you have to understand here is that initial uh, time of the church in Jerusalem it, it was beautiful, man, uh, eighteen to twenty four months it was incredible, uh, God working in their midst. But then this persecution came, and it's this long lasting kind of persecution, where Paul, Saul, the the man who becomes Paul, we're going to read about that in a few weeks, uh, he maybe took the lead of organizing a severe persecution, a f- a house to house, door to door. Um, are you a Christian? Come with me. And I think a par- probably part of the strategy is putting them in a prison. They didn't have the prison system that we do, so it was, it was never meant to be a long-term thing, the, the prison. They put them in a prison so that they could tell them, hey, if you don't recant, if you don't renounce your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're a good Jew then you would not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But if you recant, you will live. But if you don't, you'll die. And as we see in Acts 26, we aren't told how many Christians died. But it, it seems like many, many died over a, a course of many months because they followed Jesus Christ and they would not, would not renounce their faith in Jesus. Uh, so it's a terrible thing. Right, in, in in one sense, I mean, you can imagine these refugees as they're cast out. They're running for their lives. They're they're picking up their clothes, they, you know, whatever they use for suitcases back then. They're stuffing their suitcases and they're running. They're getting out of dodge as fast as they can before the persecutor comes. Before, as it were, the angel of death comes um, to knock on their door. Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a terrible thing, but it, it's not unexpected, it's, it's not abnormal, but it happens. Uh, it says in verse 2, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. We're not sure, were those Christians that braved the storm or were those uh, non-Christians who were just appalled at the way that uh, uh, you know, murder took place of Stephen? We're not sure. It says in verse 3, he was ravaging the church, again meaning destroying the church, doing everything possible to destroy the church dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Uh, if you have suffered for Jesus Christ, one of the things that comes to mind from time to time, uh, if you've been persecuted because you are following Jesus, obeying Jesus, if you stand out from your co-workers or stand out from your classmates and they act like you are a horrible person and they want to destroy you, you might think from time to time that, Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe God doesn't care for me. He's, why would God allow me to go through trial and tribulation like this? Why would God seek to wreck me and ruin me? Why would God uh, allow um, evil to come to my door? And, and that's not the case at all. God bought you with his blood. God adopted you into his family through Jesus. Jesus. God uh, wrote you into a story. You belong to him. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Neither death or life, neither angels nor demons, sword. You know, nothing can separate you. It's, it's not that. We see in the scriptures a long history, a long history of trouble coming upon the saints. Remember Genesis and in the, in the, in the story of Joseph. Remember how Joseph, he was sold into slavery by his brothers, and in Genesis 50, we get to that point, Genesis 50, verse 20, uh, the brothers are there, don't don't kill us, don't don't hurt us now that Joseph's in a position of power. He says, no, you meant it for evil, my imprisonment, all the evil things that happened to me, the the persecution, the trials that I went through, but God meant it for good, right, right? We, we see even in Acts 2, we read a few weeks ago how in Acts 2, uh, Peter in the sermon, he's, he's preaching to these guys and, and he's saying to them, hey, you handed the Christ over to wicked men. You allowed the Messiah to be killed. You know, he, he laid the guilt on them. But he said, but it was by God's foreordained plan. It was by God's purpose that Jesus died. Did, did God forsake Jesus? Absolutely not. It was part of his plan. Even even the Apostle Paul, if you look at uh, Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1 uh, verse 12, it's just something that happens again and again where God moves his plan forward even if it means sometimes we suffer. There's bigger things happening than our comfort or our peace or our happiness. Um, verse twelve, chapter one of uh, chapter one of Philippians. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what's happened to him, he was put into jail. He's in prison. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it became known throughout the whole imperial guard to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. We, uh, we, we think that if we uh, are obedient to Jesus, we're, we're serving Jesus, we're going to church, we're, we're uh, you know, doing our devotions, we're, we're tithing, we're doing all the things we're supposed to do, we think that that's some kind of a, maybe sometimes we fall into the idea that that's some kind of a, a, a force field around us or, or protection or I did this, you owe me this. That's not how it works. God loves you, but God has purposes bigger than you. God has a plan and He's trying to accomplish. All these things that He allows, they're ultimately for good. We, and, and so we, we come to this uh, good ends, good outcomes, not our short-term good, not necessarily our short-term happiness or our short-term like satisfaction, but ultimate good. And so we come to this, uh, this account of a persecution upon the church. And we might be tempted to say, oh, how could that happen? But then you start thinking about what was the outcome? What was happening? What was going on in, 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 uh, in, in Acts, in this, this church, the first church of Jerusalem? You remember at the beginning of the book of Acts, the promise that Jesus made the disciples, the promises. They asked him, is now the time your kingdom's gonna come, that, that you're gonna restore rule to Israel? He said, that's not for you to know, but I tell you, wait for the Holy Spirit, remember the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and you will be my witnesses, you will be, now, it's, it's a statement of fact, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, it's, it's a statement of fact, it's also a future imperative, like When this happens, then you will do this. You are sent to do this. Uh, God keeps his promises. The statement of fact that they would be moved into Judea and Samaria, it wasn't up for discussion. God had a plan, a mission to reach these regions with the gospel because he wanted to see Samaritans hear the gospel, respond to the gospel repent and believe, and become part of the kingdom of God, to be part of Jesus' people. So we come here, and what's been transpiring? Is there any hint, is there any idea in the first church of Jerusalem that, that there's a, hey, we can't wait to get to Judea. We can't wait to leave Jerusalem. We can't wait to go to Samaria. Let's go, guys, let's go. Let's get out there. We don't see any of that. Maybe it's because, uh, you know, Judea. That, Judea is like the, the country that Jerusalem was the capital of. Judea is filled with other Jews. Let them come to Jerusalem. Maybe they don't, they're not worried about that, but when it comes to the Samaritans, uh, the city of Samarity, Samaria is about 30 miles north of J- Jerusalem. It, it, it says you, they went down to Samaria. I mean, it's lower elevation, like San Luis Valley people, when they go to Denver, they go down to Denver, even though it's north, right? So, so they, they, they go to Samaria. Uh, this idea of going to Samaria, the Samaritans are kind of an odd, odd group of people. There's a long history there, hundreds of years of history. Back in uh, 721, 722, 721 B.C., the Assyrians came in and they took that whole region. And the people they didn't kill, they, they enslaved. The people, that they, the poor they left in the land that they didn't take away, they, they, they took a bunch of captives. and They took them up to Assyria. And unfortunately, these captives, when they went to Assyria, they compromised their faith. They started to intermarry with non-Jewish people. And they started to take on other gods while they were in Assyria. When the people came back from Assyria... Uh, in in the interim while they were gone, Assyria sent other conquered peoples to live in the region of Samaria, uh, in the middle of Galilee, in the middle of Judea, this region. And when they came back, these these, these former Jewish faithful people, they and their children, they intermarried with these transplants. And so the, the Judaism practiced in Samaria was a mongrel faith. It was a mix-mix. It was a a little bit of that and a little bit of that. But the people in Jerusalem, if you remember, they were taken by the Babylonians from 605 to 586 B.C. The Babylonians came in, and they took them, and they took captives. But the people that went to Babylon, they never intermixed. They stayed fairly pure. And the people that came back, remember the time in Ezra, Nehemiah, the, the people that came back, they were focused, <laughs> and unfortunately, as these two groups of people interacted, the people in Jerusalem really looked down on the Samaritans as these unfaithful people, and so that, that almost racism or that almost hatred of these people, it affected the church. I imagine, as I think about it, as I, as I process the, the way they looked at each other, I'm thinking the church is saying, yeah, going to Judea might be good, but Samaria... Jesus couldn't have been serious, could he? He didn't want us to say, he didn't want the Samaritans to be part of the people of God. But he did. He did. He said, you will be my witnesses. You will go. And so when they don't, could it be that persecution was a way of God shaking a church that didn't want to go do the work of God. They liked their comfortable space. They liked what came up was happening in Jerusalem. Man, the Jerusalem church was awesome. Could it be that churches like ours could be so enamored with our fellowship, with the way we love one another, with 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 you know, the things we're learning, with the outer world where we see the people outside let them come to us we won't go it seems just the way that through the first seven chapters of acts we see a god of providence working behind the scenes and we see a sovereign god making things happen according to his will it seems very clear to me that god purposely brought about persecution to move the church into mission that he worked in these people's lives in such a way, if you aren't going to go voluntarily, will shake you out of your comfort zone to accomplish the will of God. Again, it's not that he doesn't love them. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't have a purpose, a plan for them. He, he does want to see them thrive. But you guys, this life isn't our life. This life isn't our hope. This life isn't the best thing we we have. We have a hope of heaven. We have a hope of the the kingdom to come. We have a glorious inheritance that's on the way. We don't live for the now as the world does. We live for God's glory. We, we, We live for the kingdom of God that will one day come upon the earth. That's where our hope is. And so... God shakes the church through evil actions just as, just as God used evil people to kill Jesus to accomplish his plan, just as God used the, the brothers of Joseph to, to bring about good, to save countless lives. God is working in this church to accomplish his redemptive plan. He wants to see Samaritans saved. And the gospel is the only hope of, of people coming to know the, know the truth and respond to the truth, to repent and believe and come into the kingdom of God. And so, we as a church, I think one of the things, one of the takeaways, one of the things we have to ask is when we, when we see this, this persecution arise, uh, if we've never been persecuted, if we've never been stressed by people opposing us, if we've never been uh, run under the bus, as it were, we have to ask the question why? Maybe we are in this bubble. Where it's just that it, it, nobody cares. Nobody wants to attack us. Nobody, nobody is opposed to us. And, and we're faithful and we're true. And, and, and it just, we've avoided persecution though so far. But maybe the, the, the reason why we aren't being persecuted or people aren't calling us out or people aren't firing us from our jobs or why, why people aren't um, putting out the word on Facebook about those Bible thumpers or those Jesus freaks. Could it be that we've been domesticated? Could it be that we are so, so, uh, so tame, so, uh, so interested in ourselves that we, 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 we hear the, the, the preacher say, go preach the gospel, and we say, no, 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 I don't, no. no, that's not me. Or walk in obedience to Jesus Christ, even if it costs you everything. <laughs> no, no. It, could it be that we're so blended in with the surrounding culture that nobody sees a difference in us? That, that nobody sees any kind of a reason to hate us, we, that we, we, we live in such a way that we're not living truth, that we're not walking in accord with, with Jesus' will, and we, we don't share His values, we don't share His heart, we, we don't live the, the way He would live if he were walking in our shoes. Maybe there isn't a need for people to persecute us. We have to ask that question. For the first church of Jerusalem... It seems like the time had come and gone for them to go, and when they hadn't gone, God allowed persecution to come to push them out by His grace, for His good ends, for the saving of lives. Well, we, uh, we, we get to verse 4, and, and we can imagine what the persecution looked like. We imagine the deaths that took place, the sufferings, the trials, the tribulations, and we think maybe that people are discouraged or people are just down and like, if God's going to treat me that way, I'm not going to serve God. But no. A beautiful, beautiful picture comes in verse 4. Now those, or some of your trans- translations say, but those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ Christ. The crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said to Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. Many were paralyzed or lame or healed. So there was much joy in the city. There's much joy in the city. It's a great moment in church history. It's a great example for us. Uh, the adversity that came upon the church, the attack that came upon the church, the the hatred that came upon the church, the destruction that came upon the church. As the people were driven out, what did they do? (laughs) They obeyed God. They listened to Jesus' commission. They fled to this house and that house and, and to that city and that city. And as they went, they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so so the progression is, so so persecution comes, uh, the church is scattered, the church that is scattered or the church that is sown, like seed being sown in different places. As the seeds being sown, as the people go out, they, they, they share. And because they share the gospel, people hear the gospel for the first time. The Samaritans have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're 30 miles away. How many people in a 30-mile radius of Living Water Bible Fellowship Church have never heard the gospel? I I would venture that there are thousands right now in the radius of 30 miles of this church that have never heard the gospel. They don't have a clue what Jesus has done. They don't have a clue what Jesus has accomplished. They don't have a clue about their eternal their eternal death that is on the way unless something happens, unless they can be saved. And so these guys and these gals, they're scattered and they go out. And they show so we, we, let, let, let's, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. Let's talk a little bit in our, our remaining few minutes about what it means to share the gospel. The terminology in verse 4 it's a little bit, uh, it's, 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 not, uh, it's not clear. Now, those who are scattered went about preaching the word. Now, uh, preaching. You have an idea what preaching is. It's like some strange guy, some goofy guy standing behind a pulpit on a stage, right? A monologue, a monologue given where, where someone is bringing the word of God. Is, is that what's happening here? No. You don't don't think about these this mom and her children or or the this family that are running to Judea or Samaria, and they they, they say hey we got to find a pulpit, we got to find a pulpit to place in a public space and hey Hezekiah you're gonna preach, that's not that's not what, what's happening. Uh, the terminology the terminology there there's there's a couple of Greek words in verse four and five. Uh, uh, euangelion. Euangelion is the Greek word. For preach, and what you know, the, the translator. Some translations say preach, others say announce, or share. Share what? Preach the word. The what's the word? It's the message. So some of your translations will say they shared the good news, the message. So uh, some people, when they hear preach the word, they think of Second Timothy chapter four verse two, right? The Apostle Paul saying to Timothy, hey. Preach the word. And what he means there is a pastor preaching doctrine, preaching instruction to an assembled congregation of believers. In season and out of season, preach the word. That, that's not what's going on here. The, 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 the announcement, the sharing of good news. Yeah. Uh, in verse 5, uh, it's a little bit different. Uh, Philip goes to crowds. And so there's, there's a different word there. It's proclaimed. Some translations say preached again, but in verse 5 it's proclaimed, kairuso. Kairuso means a herald, like a government official coming to a town, gathering everybody in the public park and saying, hey, the emperor says this. Philip went to the city of Samaria. And he said, hey, listen to me. And over the course of months, it seems, He gathered crowd after crowd in maybe a public space and saying, Hey, the kingdom of God has come. Jesus is the Messiah you've been waiting for. Remember in John chapter 4, when the interaction with the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, she was waiting for the Messiah. She said, My people have been waiting for the Messiah. Now, because they, they only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the, the Messiah they were waiting for was along the lines of Deuteronomy 18, 15. There's going to be a prophet like me, like Moses, that's going to come. They were waiting for that kind of Messiah, but nevertheless, they were waiting for the Messiah. So Philip, in a public way, proclaims, heralds, bears witness. The kingdom of God has come. Jesus the Christ has come. And you can, you can guess and you can bet that during those, those moments, in a public way, He called them to faith. He invited them to faith. He invited them to trust in the Messiah that they've been waiting for. Sharing the gospel, the evangelism that we get so terrified over is simply an announcement and an invitation. And now if you want to boil it down to make it as simple as possible, an announcement and an invitation. As these people fled... Maybe they had relatives in that little village of, of, of Judea. Maybe they had people they knew in Samaria. They would show up to the people's houses, and what would happen? Why are you here? Because we're followers of the way, because we serve Jesus Christ, we're being attacked. Well, why do you serve Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? What, what, what is he about? Are you saying he's Messiah? So they were able to announce and share in a very personal way with the people Why they believed in Jesus? Why they were following Jesus? Who Jesus was, and Philip was able to go and proclaim in a a bigger way the message. But I guarantee you, both peoples, both parties, they as they announced, they shared. And and so we 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 look at this, and you look down in verse twelve. When they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God, we have to ask, what is that? What is that preaching? About the kingdom of God, it seems foreign to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Um, <clears throat> so let me, let me just back up a second. When, when you hear the word evangelism, I know your blood starts pumping. Some of you love it, but the mo- majority of people, when you hear the word evangelism, your heart starts thumping in a, uh, he's going to ask me to do it. He's going to call me to be an evangelist. Uh, because your connotation of evangelism is totally negative usually. You think that be, if you have to be an evangelist or or the evangelian the 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 sharing of the message you think that you have to force people to believe something they don't want to believe. Our, our connotation is maybe you have to be a preacher in some way or or your connotation is you're going to have to get in a wrestling match of wits with somebody. Like you have to be the you have to be like this PhD level that has all the answers. Uh like uh you have to memorize all these Bible verses that you can just pop out just like that. Bam, bam. <laughs> yeah. All the questions. <laughs> Here comes all the Bible verses that you know, right? You, you think that you have to be that kind of a person, that you have to wrestle philosophically with people and overcome them, that you have to win kind of deal. Uh, or, or, or maybe worse yet, sometimes when you say evangelism, people think I have to be a salesman for Jesus, I have to go to sales like a door-to-door. Hey, would you like to buy this product? Slam, right? Uh, it, 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 are we selling something that nobody wants to buy? That'd be a terrifying way to live, wouldn't it? Like, if, if, that, if that's how it was, that we're just these salesmen that, for Jesus, that's, that's not what it's about. That's not... The, the announcement is the most beautiful announcement you could ever imagine. It's the most incredible sharing of truth that you could ever imagine. It's not about me trying to overcome someone and pin somebody. Ha ha! Got you. You have to believe in Jesus now. Or we're not trying to like slide a hand like this. This unethical salesman. Believe in Jesus. You know, <laughs> here's some other things that I didn't share that also come with the with the purchase. It's not like that. When Peter says, or Philip says. It's about the good news of the kingdom of God. You know that Jesus preached that again and again about the kingdom of God? What is that? Uh, like if you look at, at Mark, Mark 1:15. When I was uh, trying to memorize the book of Mark, I was, this one came back again and again and again. Uh, Mark 1:15. The time is fulfilled. Jesus said after he went into Galilee, or look at verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus' main message was about the coming of the kingdom of God. He came from heaven. He said, guess what? The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. And he told his disciples as he sent them out, you preach that too. Look at, look at Matthew chapter, chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse seven. Matthew chapter 10 verse seven. Uh, he's, he's sending them out to the towns, two by two, kind of a deal, uh, and, he, and, he, and proclaim as you say, as you go, saying, "The kingdom of heaven is at hand." It, it was their message. It was their good news. But it seems foreign to us, doesn't it? It was their message, it was their good news. The kingdom of God is hand. Even at the end of Acts, what, what was the Apostle Paul about? Acts 28, verse 31. Well, look at verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, welcomed all, came to him. And what did he do? Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. So what's going on here? Uh, we are tempted to believe that governments and dictators and tyrants run the world. It is not true. We're tempted to believe that thieves and robbers are in control of this world. It's not true. We're tempted to believe that principalities and powers, that Satan and demons run the world. It's not true. We're tempted to believe that death and the grave are the most powerful things around. It is not true. Jesus Christ came from heaven. Jesus Christ died, according to the scriptures. He was buried, and He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, raised from the dead, defeating the death, defeating the grave. And after 40 days, He was exalted to heaven, where he's placed at the right hand of God. And He said at the end of Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth belongs to me. The kingdom of God has come in terms, and another way to say it, the reign of the king has started. The reign of God has come, and it's good news because none of these other powers are an authority over your life if you're in Jesus Christ. None of these other dictators or these other uh, authorities truly have reign over your life if you are in Jesus Christ. And because, because Jesus reigns, we, the scripture says again and again and again, fear not. Hey, Samaria, you've never heard of Jesus. Your life seems to be enslaved to the spirits. Life seems to be enslaved, enslaved to Herod. Your life be, seems to be enslaved to the, these governments who are always taxing you. Fear not. Jesus reigns. The kingdom of God has come. The reign of the king has come. The rule of God is here, and you can enter it. You can receive it. You can come under the reign of the king, and you are safe. Even if troubles and hardships, when they come, it doesn't mean that they've won. No, you are in the hands of the king. You're you're under the control, the reign of the king. And so Jesus' message that he preached, that he gave his disciples to preach, that Paul preached, that we preach, is God rules. He has won the victory. He has overcome. He is the Lord of all. Fear not, fear not, fear not. God reigns, he rules. Sovereign God is in control, and you, if you come under his reign, you will have peace. Even in the midst of calamity, even if the stock market crashes, even if viruses spread around the earth, in Jesus Christ, you will have peace that nobody can take away from you. You can have hope that no matter what comes, the kingdom of God that's at hand is coming fully. One day the kingdom of God will come to earth. The spiritual kingdom one day will transfer into the spiritual kingdom when the king comes back, when the Messiah comes to earth to reign. You have a great and living hope. So the Samaritans hear the gospel, and many come to faith. The Samaritans, and we assume the, 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 the people in Judea too, uh, Luke just has a little bit of room to write, so he just tells us some of the highlights. The gospel is preached, but there is an invitation given. What about you? Will you come under the reign of the king? What about you? Will you, will you turn your life over to Jesus? What about you? Will you surrender to the lordship of Christ? You know that went out a lot, a lot, again and again and again. And we, we see here probably hundreds, if not thousands, of Samaritans come to faith. And, and Luke wants us to know, and there was this guy. This guy that the Samaritan said is the power of God. He's the great one. Simon. He was watching, he was he was looking, he was he was observing, and he was just amazed. At, at what was going on. Uh, we, we get to this, this section of, of Simon the magician. Some of your translations say Simon the sorcerer. What is sorcery? Sorcery is this, uh, it can be magic. It, could be, it can be uh, the, this word of sorcery. It's the, the, uh, a power that's used to control nature, control the world, a power that's used to control people or to control circumstances. Uh, this, this Simon is along the line, remember the magi that went and visited Jesus and brought him gifts? He's in the same kind of track, a magician, a magi, somebody with secret wisdom. Some of them were good and some of them were bad. <laughs> but, but they used their magic, their, their sorcery to control things. And, and so he was this, this great man in the eye. And, and the, the Samaritan said, he must be from God, even though his power was dark. In evil. When they believed, Philip, as he preached, verse 12, the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, you know, the gospel is not just about the kingdom of God coming, it's about Jesus. Uh, we we, we dial down a little farther. Jesus went to the cross as we celebrated at the communion. He died for our sins. He gave his life. He shed his blood to save us. Jesus preached about the gospel, but Jesus is the gospel. So so Simon is is hearing this this preaching. Even Simon himself, verse 13, believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed. He was amazed. And and Luke wants us to know why this, why, why does he bring Simon to the next? Because here's this man doing great, powerful things, wonderful things, incredible things, and even he, when he hears the gospel, turns over to Jesus. Or so it seems. It, it's, 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 it's a big deal for Simon. Uh, there, there's so much uh, here to speak about and so much here to teach. Um, I, I'm going to stop here just in lieu of time. But let's be that church that goes. As, as the church in Jerusalem were finally faithful to share the gospel, let's be that church that shares the good news, that announces the reign of the king, that calls people to faith in Jesus Christ, calls them to repent and believe and trust in Jesus. And could we see, as we faithfully go, something similar happen, a people that you never expect coming under the reign of the king, placing their faith in Jesus Christ? Yes. Could it be that some of the the things that you see happening in our community as people turn to Jesus as their Lord and Savior Could there be a shift in some of the things that are happening in our midst as people come into the reign of the King? Yes. But it starts with us announcing the truth and calling people to believe, calling people to trust, to enter the kingdom, to receive the gift of salvation and then follow Jesus Christ in faithfulness and obedience. If if we're about that, we can see not only lives changed, but even our whole community change. I, just, I wonder what happened in Samaria uh, for a season there as the gospel went out and as churches were planted in Samaria, how, how so many things maybe changed in, in the families. So many, change, so many things changed in the community as, as people were living for Christ now instead of for themselves. Instead of selfishness and greed and evil, now they're living for God. And obe- what, what, what happened in the, those towns and those cities as Christ came and he reigned over life after life after life? Just amazing things. What could happen in our broken valley, in our broken communities, in our our hurting and dying communities? And if Jesus comes to reign, life is going to change a lot. Lives will be bettered. Communities will be bettered. God will be glorified. Let's be that church that brings the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our neighbors and friends. God desires it. Luke, would you please come? Lord God, we love love you so much. We thank you for letting us hear the gospel. We thank you for speaking to us and, and opening our eyes to the truth. Thank you, Lord, when we heard, when we believed, you made us alive. You brought us into the kingdom. You sent your spirit into our life forevermore. Praise you, Lord. May you be magnified. May you be glorified. For you are so worthy. Send us again, Lord. Please, Lord, don't don't pull back your hand. Please don't, as as we've been slow to go, please don't get discouraged by us. Please, Holy Spirit, don't be grieved by our lack of obedience. Please, Lord, give us another, another shot. Please send us again, Lord. We know we've been empowered. We know that you are going before us. We know that lives can be changed. Please send us again. May may you be lifted up in this world. Love you, Lord. Amen.